Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Excuse me. <clears throat> Let's go to the last <clears throat> week of the life of Jesus. Let's go to the latter part of the week. It's Thursday. It's Thursday evening. So it's the last part of the last week of the life of Jesus on the earth. He has less than 24 hours to live. He asked the disciples, go talk to somebody who has an upstairs kitchen and an upstairs room, and they meet there for the last time to have the Jewish meal called Passover. Another word is Seder. Now listen to me very carefully. The devil wants to put a fog of religion over all of this. You know, when you hear the word Last Supper, it just has a religious weirdness to it. And all this was was 12 men who just three years earlier worked and they had calluses on their hands. And they were men just like the men in this room. And they met with Jesus, their rabbi, and they met in an upstairs kitchen that somebody loaned them, and they celebrated the Passover the last time they would get together. Now, you remember what Passover is? You remember 1,500 years ago, the children of Israel are slaves in Egypt, and God is trying to get Pharaoh to let them go, and there's 10 plagues. And the last plague, God tells Moses, I'm going to send the death angel and every firstborn child in every home, every firstborn animal is going to die. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to kill an innocent lamb and take the blood, and I want you to put it over the doorpost of your house. Put it above your front door. Then when that angel comes to your house, he will see the blood, and he'll pass over you. That's what Passover is. Do you remember when John the Baptist saw Jesus at the Jordan River for the very first time? You know what he said? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They put the blood of a lamb on their doorpost. You've put the blood of the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, over your doorpost. It's the last time they'll take communion, excuse me, communion, Passover. And it's the first time they take communion. Jesus institutes something with these Jewish men that's never been done before. He breaks bread and he takes a cup and he says, take and drink. This is my blood spilled for you. This is my body broken for you. And I'm going to institute a new covenant. And it was the very first time they did it. You and I did it tonight. 2,000 years later, we're still doing it. So they have a meal, they laugh, they talk, and then Judas gets up early and he leaves to go make a deal with the devil. They finish their meal and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now all the Garden of Gethsemane was, was a place at the, at the foot of the Mount of Olives and there were trees and it was green and there was water and there was grass. And it would be just like if you and I went to the park or if we went to a place uh, at the foot of mountains where it's green and the air is fresh. And they went there many times. Jesus went there to pray. They went there and they hung out, and this was the last time they would go. And so it's getting dusk. It's Thursday evening. The sun is going down, and they go there, and it's cool, and they're lounging, and they've had a meal. And Jesus begins to pray, and he agonizes because he knows what's coming. The Bible says that he sheds great drops of blood. 
And then Judas, the betrayer, shows up. And he shows up with a guard from the Jewish temple. And I really want you to understand this. Okay, this does not involve the Romans yet. Okay, there was a Jewish temple with rabbis where they worshiped, and there was a guard at that temple, and that's who came. And it says that they came with clubs and with swords, and they were going to forcibly take Jesus. And we know what Judas does. He gives the betrayer's kiss. And then Jesus says, who are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And they all fall backwards. They fall on the ground. Literally, they're slain in the spirit. They don't faint. The power of God touches them, and they literally collapse on the ground. And Jesus has to wait for them to recover and to get up. Do you remember when Moses met with God at the burning bush, and he climbed the mountain, and he got up there, and he asked God, who are you? And he said, I am that I am. And that's exactly what Jesus told them. They said, who are you? He said, I am. What he was saying was, is I am God. So then Peter gets all flustered and he pulls his sword and he cuts off one of the ears of one of the servants. And Jesus says, Peter, put up your sword. We're not going to fight. And he picks the ear up off the ground and he holds it up and he heals it. It's supernaturally restored instantly. Can you imagine what they must have thought? So they take Jesus, and they take him to Caiaphas' home. He's a chief priest. And it's like a, it's like, it's not a palace, but it's a palatial place because he's a leader. He's a chief priest, and he's well-known. And he has a home, and then outside of it is like a colonnade. It's like a porch, and it's a beautiful place. That's about 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And they build a fire in the courtyard, and Peter's there with some other people, and they spend the night mocking, torturing, making fun of Jesus. They blindfold him, and they slap him, and they say, hey, prophet, tell us who slapped you. They pull his beard out. They just make fun of him. They mock him. They ridicule him. They torture him. I believe they would have killed him right there if they could have. But they couldn't because the Romans wouldn't allow it. They do this all night. At 6 o'clock in the morning, they take him to the palace, the Roman palace of Pontius Pilate. It's called the Praetorium. And Pilate must be an early riser because they go at 6 in the morning. And when they get there, then Pilate begins to interview him. He begins to question him, and he asks him, uh, they say that you're the king of the Jews. Are you a king? And he says, you say that I am. And he says, I am a king, but I'm not a king of this world. And he says, and if I was a king of this world, we would fight. Thank God he wasn't the king of this world because the fight would have been bad. So he questions him, and then Jesus says to him, all those that know the truth, hear my words. And Pilate says, what is truth? Now, here's what I've always wondered. Pilate really didn't want to crucify Jesus. He didn't really want to. He didn't see anything wrong with him, but he was the classic politician. You see, he knew that he was innocent, and he didn't want a just man to be killed, but he wanted the approval of the mob more than he wanted to do right, and that's what politicians do. But I wonder when uh, Pilate's heart beat its last beat, and he breathed his last breath, 
and he stepped into eternity, and there was Jesus of Nazareth. I wonder what his first thought was. Oh, my gosh, I guess maybe you do know the truth. So, Pilate doesn't really want anything to do with it. And so, there's another magistrate in town. His name is Herod. And he and Herod are political rivals. They don't like each other. And he finds out that Jesus is from Galilee. And so he thinks, hey, I'll get rid of this problem, and I'll send it over to my adversary, Herod, and I'll let him deal with it. So that the Romans are now involved. It's not just the religious leaders. And they gather him, and they take him over to Herod's court. Now, Herod's excited. He's heard about Jesus. And he's excited to meet him. He wants to talk to him. He wants to see him, and he wants him to do a miracle. He's thinking, hey, maybe this guy will do a miracle or two. Maybe he'll do a parlor trick, and we can watch. And so when he gets there, Jesus doesn't have much to say. And so he quickly loses interest in him. This is where they fashion a crown of thorns and force it on his head, and they put a robe on him, and they mock him as king of the Jews. And he sends him back to Pilate. When he gets back to Pilate, Pilate brings him before the people. A crowd is gathered, and he says, I find no fault with this man. Why don't we release him? And they say, no, we want him crucified. And he says, well, it's our custom to release one person this time of year, so why don't we release Jesus? And they say, no, we would rather have the murderer Barabbas. And he, he contends with them. He says, no, no, let's not do that. Let's not release Barabbas. He's a known murderer and a criminal. Let's release Jesus. He's innocent. And they say, no, crucify him. And so they release Barabbas. Now, before we go on from this story, I must say this, and I know many of you know it, we are Barabbas. Listen, the innocent was executed, and the guilty went free. That's exactly what happened in my life. That's exactly what happened in your life. You see, Jesus was innocent, and he was executed for my sin. He was executed for my shame, and I was guilty, and because he took my punishment, I was released, and so were you. So we're all Barabbas. So then they whipped Jesus, the Roman soldiers do. The Bible says they did 39 stripes. He was viciously beaten. The Bible says he didn't even look like a man when they got done. And the Bible says in 1 Peter 2.24, by Jesus' stripes, we were healed. We just prayed that. We just took communion, the same communion that Jesus took. And it says that when he was whipped by those Roman soldiers, mercilessly, his body was broken. His body was marred. Why? So that you and I could be whole. So then he's so beaten. He's been up all night. He's been mocked. He's been slapped. He's, he's been tortured. He's so weak physically that he can't carry the cross. And they have to carry the cross outside of Jerusalem out to Golgotha. So they uh, grab a man uh, who's coming along the road, and they grab him, and they make him carry the cross of Jesus. And Jesus walks behind him as he carries it. And they go outside the city of gate, uh, city gate to a place where they do public executions. Listen, the, the crucifixion was something that Rome came up with to control people. Okay, if I got out of line, if I was talking too much that they, about things they didn't like, if I was politically a dissident, then they would crucify me out on the edge of town, and they would want every one of you to see it. So you'd be afraid, 
and so you'd shut up. So they take him out to Golgotha. It's called the place of the skull because if you're back away from it, it's like the top of a man's head, and then there's two indentions where it looks like hollow eyes. And so from a distance, it actually looked like a skull. So they carry him out there. He walks out there, and they put him on a cross, and they nail his hands and his feet to a cross, and they crucify him between two known thieves. Now stop right here. Friday before Easter in two weeks, two weeks from tomorrow, at 9 o'clock on Friday morning, Jesus is nailed to a cross. Here's what I'd like for you to do. I would love for you to put a reminder on your phone for two weeks from this Friday and it go off at 9 o'clock that morning. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, if you're at work, if you're at home, whatever you're doing that day, whatever's going on, I'd like for your phone to go off at 9 o'clock and and remind you at 9 o'clock of this. Your Savior, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is nailed to the cross at 9 o'clock Friday morning. And remind yourself, he's on the cross for six hours. But let's not go through it so quickly. Let's back up. He's on the cross. He's had nails through his hand, nails through his feet. He's mocked. He's made fun of. They put sour wine on a sponge and give it to him to get a drink. Uh, They say, if you're the son of God, get down off that cross. One of the thieves says, if you're the son of God, get down off this cross and help me. And another one says, are you a fool? Do you not fear God? He says, hey, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, would you remember me? And that thief, God, Jesus, says to him, this day you'll be with me in paradise. So it goes from 9 o'clock until noon. And at noon, it becomes dark. Now, not dark like clouds. Not You know how in West Texas, man, a strong thunderstorm can roll in, and, you know, the wind blows before it, and, you know, it can, you know how it'll get dark. And those thunderclouds will cover the sun, and it, can, and it can almost seem dark. This wasn't like that kind of dark. It wasn't storm dark. It's like midnight dark. Okay, at noon, it becomes dark like night. And the Son of God is on the cross. Don't you think that had to scare them? I mean, don't you think it frightened them? It's like, oh, my gosh, what is going on? He stays on the cross three more hours. Now, Passover's coming, and the Jews don't want him on the cross during Passover. So what they would typically do is, if you haven't died yet, see, when you die from crucifixion, you slump down, and you can't breathe, and you suffocate. And so you have nails in your feet, and so you push up on your feet, and you, even though it's painful, to catch a breath, and then you slump back down. And you do it over and over and over, and it's an agonizing slow death. Well, they want you to go ahead and die. So what they would do is they would take a club, and they would break your shin bones. And so, you know, you're hanging on this cross, pretty much probably this high right here, and Eric would come up with a club, and he would break my shin bones. Then that way I can't push up anymore because my legs are broken, and so I would die quicker. They broke the two thieves' legs. But at 3 o'clock, they didn't break Jesus' legs because he had already died. And the Bible says that his legs would not be broken, and that fulfilled a prophecy. When he died at 3 o'clock, there was a massive earthquake and lightning and storm, and it said rocks, boulders split in half, tombs of dead people burst open, 
and people were raised from the dead. So there's people in Jerusalem. The priests are having Passover. Jesus is dying outside of town on Golgotha. It's been dark since noon. It's such a weird day. Now there's an earthquake and a thunderstorm, and Grandma, who's been dead for five years, walks down the street. Literally. Literally, dead people. They were raised from the dead and went into town. All of that happens when Jesus dies. And then the veil, which was uh, the curtain that covered the inner court of the temple, is torn in two. Now, let me just take a minute and explain that to you. There was a temple the Jews had, and there was an outer court, there was an inner court, and there was a holy of holies. So imagine outside where the grass is is the outer court. This is the inner court. Then imagine if there was a curtain around this stage, this would be the holy of holies. And if I was a Jewish priest, I'm only allowed to come in once a year into the Holy of Holies, and I bring blood, and I put blood on the mercy seat, and then that pays for our sins for a year. Now, that's a real brief description of it. But if you're outside, you're in the outer court. If you're in here, you're in the inner court. And if you're behind this curtain, it's the Holy of Holies. The presence of God dwelled there. And there was a tall, thick curtain made out of mohair. It wasn't like a shower curtain. It was thick, a couple of inches thick, and it was heavy, and it was dark. And when Jesus died on the cross, there's an earthquake. It's dark. Dead people are raised. And that veil or that curtain is ripped in half from the top to the bottom. God himself got a hold of that curtain like a phone book. You ever seen anybody tear a phone book in half? God got a hold of that curtain, and he tore it in half from top to bottom. Now, now why? What does that mean? Well, here's what it means. It means God's presence was no longer in the Holy of Holies, but it was going to be in the hearts of men. Eric, your heart is the Holy of Holies. My heart is the Holy of Holies. What do you mean, Pastor? When you say yes to Jesus, the Spirit of God moves inside you. You see, I've got God on the inside of me. You have God on the inside of you. They did not have that. Now, we all know that God doesn't live here in this building. We've talked about it before. Now, we've built this building, and we dedicated it to God, and I call it God's house because it's dedicated for worship. And when we gather in this place, the Bible says he's here with us to do whatever we need. But when we leave, it's not like God lives here. And, hey, you know, don't get up on the stage, man. Don't go in that building and get close to that stage because if you do, man, lightning will hit you or you'll drop dead. You'll get killed, man, because God lives up there, and only pastor can go up there. Because, man, the, 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 the living God is there. No, it's not like that. We know that. Listen, you're the holy of holies. Isn't that amazing? God lives on the inside of you. And what does the Bible say? It says, my flesh is a jar of clay. That's what, that's what it refers to. This, this flesh that I carry, this flesh that you have, the Bible says it's a jar of clay. It's perishable. Listen, if you break your flesh bad enough, you can't stay here. You die. You have to leave. Isn't that right? Okay. You know, my brother was in an airplane crash, and it destroyed his body. It damaged him so bad, he died. He died. His spirit left his body. Why? Because it's a perishable jar of clay, but on the inside of me is God. He doesn't live in the Holy of Holies anymore. He doesn't live in church. He lives in me. He lives in you. 
So at 3 o'clock, they take Jesus down off the cross because the Jews don't want him on the cross during Passover. And so they take him off, and he and Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea take his body, and they wrap it in cloth. That was their tradition. You know, we embalm. They didn't embalm like we do. The Egyptians did, but we don't. they didn't do that. And they would wrap him in cloth, and they had a borrowed tomb, which was hewn out of a rock hillside. And they laid him in that tomb, and they rolled a huge several thousand pound stone over the front of it. Now, see, when we do funerals, you know, we embalm people, and then we put them in a box, a coffin, and then typically, now I know not everybody does it that way, but typically, you know, you go out here to the cemetery, and <clears throat> I've done many funerals, and, and there's a hole, and you sit around, and, and we pray and commit their body to the earth until resurrection morning, and that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And then you're lowered into the ground, and there's a vault, and they put cement over top of it, and, and people stay there till resurrection morning if they know Christ. They didn't do it like that. You see, it was a hole, a little tunnel, like a little cave cut out of solid rock, and they would put you in there, and then they would take this stone and roll it in front of it. And they had to have help to move the stone. And that is the end of Friday evening of Passover. And Jesus is dead, and he's buried. And all their hopes, all their dreams, all their plans are over. And those 12 men who gave up their jobs and gave up their lives to follow Jesus and who thought the kingdom was coming, are, they're afraid. They are afraid. They're afraid the Romans are coming for them next and they're going to die. And eventually several of them do die. But a lot of them go into hiding. They go back to work. They go back to fishing because they're afraid. Because Jesus of Nazareth is dead. <clears throat> but he doesn't stay dead. Wednesday in Power Kids, we did a children's Bible story, and it tells this story. And it ends with Jesus dying and being put in the tomb. We, we haven't watched the story yet of resurrection. We're saving that till the week of Easter for power kids. And so we finish the story, and Jesus dies, and this little boy comes up to me after the service, and he says, hey, hey, I thought Jesus comes back alive. <clears throat> I said, he does. He does. Yeah, yeah, he, he does. He just hadn't yet in power kids. We're going to do that next week. But I was blessed by that, that he, that he knows the story. Now, listen. The story that I just told you, I think it's so important that every one of us know this story by heart. And I want you to put a reminder on your phone two weeks from Friday, on Good Friday, and I want it to go off at 9 o'clock. And I want it to remind you that your Savior is on the cross. Then I'd like for you to set a timer to go off at noon. And when it goes off at noon, remember at that moment it became dark as night. Then I want you to set it to go off at 3 in the afternoon. And when it goes off at 3 in the afternoon, I want you to remember that Jesus Christ died for your sin and for my sin. And there was an earthquake that rocks broke, that tombs were opened up, and that the veil was torn in half, and that God moved out of the Holy of Holies and moved into you at 3 o'clock. Listen, it'll be the best 
Good Friday you've ever had. Instead of just going through the day, and I, I'm guilty. I'm not, I'm not picking on y'all at all. I'm guilty. Hey, it's Friday. It's Good Friday, whatever. You know, and you go to work. You go through your routine. You go through your day. Maybe some of you are off from work. Maybe school will be closed. I don't know. But you just kind of go through the day. And I would really like for you to mark that day and think about 9 o'clock. Think about noon. Think about 3 o'clock. Think about where you are and think about what Jesus has done for you and I on the road to the cross. Stand up and let me pray for you. Father God, I'm so moved by your love and by your grace. Jesus, thank you for saying yes to die for me, to die in my place, that you are the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Father, I want to pray for every person in this service that we're strengthened and encouraged and refreshed and that we'd put a simple reminder on our phone and two weeks from this Friday, we would be reminded that you went on a cross at nine, that it went dark at noon and there was an earthquake and the veil was torn and people were raised from the dead at three and you did all that for us so that heaven could be our home. Lord, let it stir in our hearts what you've done for us. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Hey, I love you. Y'all go and be blessed and have a great rest of your evening. I love you, Noah. Glad you're here.